This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're right here every day bringing you the latest news from the worlds of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. And of course, Carol, that's part of a team of 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. And Jason, you can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio every weekday. Or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News. Let's set the Business Week agenda. Gina Martin-Adams is is with us, Chief Equity Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. She joins us from New Jersey, as does Dave Wilson, Stocks Editor for Bloomberg, also in the great state of New Jersey. I want to get to Gina in a second, but before we do that, and we're going to talk about this a couple times throughout the uh, course of the show. Dave Wilson, I laid eyes on him via Nexi for the first time in a long time, in six, seven months, because a group of us got together virtually to celebrate his 30th anniversary at Bloomberg. Which is so incredible. It's such a woa. Dave, congratulations. That's a big deal. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, man, you've got those, how many blocks on your, well, on your <laughs> desk at home or those desk loose, at work? Those loose those side loose blocks. Side blocks? It's, it's like, uh, it, it's, it's They're towering. on the desk at work, so I haven't seen them in six and a half months, and I'm looking forward to the fourth block, and just so the audience knows. You get sort of a big sort of base when you get to 10 years at Bloomberg LP, and then you get another cube at 20, another one at 25, and then finally, your tower, so to speak, tops out at 30 years. And by the way, each of the blocks is a different color. So right. it's you know, really well, kind of cool. variety. And not out, many hold on a second. Hold on a second. Tops, tops out. out for now. <laughs> for now, Dave Wilson. Come on. Well, Make it 35, Dave, and there's going to be another five-year block. <laughs> there's going to be another block. Be. Yeah, we're going to talk. Know. We're going to talk to the powers that be about that. Make sure that <laughs> you happens. You do that. <laughs> All right, let's All set right. the Bloomberg Business Week agenda because we've got Gina Martin Adams also with us, Chief Equity Strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence, on the phone from New Jersey. And as we mentioned, Dave Wilson, uh, our stocks editor, he's also here uh, from New Jersey. Um, you know, Gina, let's talk a little bit about this market trade because we kidded at the top of the broadcast. Everything is okay. We've got a rally underway. Yeah, everything's okay today. It wasn't okay Friday. It was okay Thursday. You know, I think it's a, a lot of back and forth. I feel like I'm playing ping pong the last couple of days. But in reality, the stock market's kind of gone nowhere. We've been really stuck around our 50-day moving average on the S&P 500 since the beginning of October. And I'm not sure we're going to get materially off of that moving average considering all of the uncertainty that we're currently faced with. You know, until we get a fiscal package or get past the election, even getting past the election, will we have some resolution with the election? There's just a lot of uncertainty out there. So I think we're going to be somewhat range-bound. That said... The couple of things really stand out to us. The first is really since the beginning of September, our our sector strategy had said prepare for some rotation out of the COVID defensive stocks and into more cyclically oriented groups in the S&P 500. We do appear to be continuing to see that slowly but surely. Tech stocks have sort of deflated from extreme overbought conditions and have now been trading somewhat sideways for the last couple of weeks where we're starting to see some incremental improvement in some cyclical groups. So I think that's important to watch. The other thing is just as much as we were focused on tech in September, there was an absolute rout in energy. I mean, last week, all stocks were up, but energy stocks were down 
the month of September, energy stocks tripled the losses for the tech sector. I mean, it's just been absolutely brutal. So I think you want to watch the energy sector pretty carefully, and it is actually experiencing a little bit of recovery yeah. uh, today. And so, Dave, as you look at some of the specific names, I mean, I look at the biggest mover in the S&P right now, and it is very much headline-driven Regeneron. Absolutely, because the the company's COVID-19 cocktail was used on President Trump. And so, you know, you've got Cantor raising its rating on the stock. when They're recommending the clients buy it for the first time in two years. You've got SVB Learing talking about how uh, the decision to use the cocktail on Trump was, quote, the ultimate validation for their therapy, which hasn't even gotten to the point where, you can give it to people under an emergency use authorization uh, from U.S. regulators, which is how a lot of the COVID-19 tests and treatments have been made available. Uh, Trump was able to get it to what they call a compassionate use. So, you know, the idea is looking ahead. I mean, if you've got the president taking your drug, then then maybe it's in a position where it'll actually move forward and more people will be able to do that. And Regeneron's really been trying to diversify its business. In any case, uh, you look at their revenue, it's still primarily from their eye treatment, Leo, which has been around for several years. So uh, definitely being seen as a plus. Uh, and actually, since late Friday, uh, when we found out from that White House physician that they had used uh, Regeneron therapy, I mean, stock's been... Uh, on the way up. Yeah. Yeah. Gina, what's the big thing you're looking at the balance of the week here? Um, I think I want to continue to watch for this rotation. Obviously, mm-hmm. everyone's watching fiscal policy as well. So if we get some action on fiscal policy, I think that could be a trigger for a little bit of improved risk tolerance, at least in the short run for investors. But I think we want to watch really carefully as to where investors actually bid up stock prices in that environment. Does it go into COVID defensives or do we start... Right really banking on more of an economic recovery ensuing into 2021. Yeah. Big questions. Big questions out there. All right. Thank you so much. Dina Martin-Adams, Chief Equity Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, on the phone from New Jersey. Dave Wilson, the anniversary man, celebrating 30 years at Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Let's check in with one of our pals, Dr. Joel Bloom, president of the New Jersey Institute of Technology. NJIT, we know it as. We've done a lot of fun broadcasts from there over the years, but it's a different world, that is for sure. Dr. Bloom joining us on the phone from Newark. So first of all, how are you? What are things like on campus? I know you started to welcome some students back last month. Jason, uh, things are going well on campus. Uh, We have about uh, 2,000 students a day here. We've got about um, 1,300 in residence. So, and we're doing some converged learning. Some students are learning in classroom while others are concurrently tuning in, and we are doing some remote learning. Our enrollment is held up very nicely. Um, we're uh, a little over 11,600 students this year in total, and we have been managing uh, the virus, the spread, where I've got to be very careful what, what I say here, but we've had a total of nine cases. So we, we test everything, uh, the air, wastewater, and obviously individuals. So we've been able to manage the virus, deliver our education, open our labs, and open much of our campus. Thank you for asking. I hope you are well. 
we're doing okay. And, you know, it's a remote world uh, that we're mm-hmm. living in, right, Carol? Yeah, totally remote. I mean, and it sounds good that you've been able to at least get, like you said, you know, labs are open, get some students on campus, because we know that that is so crucial, uh, Dr. Bloom, in terms of the learning experience. You can do stuff virtually, no doubt about it. We're doing a radio show, and I think we do it fairly well, you know, virtually. But nonetheless, there's nothing like that face-to-face, especially when it comes to academia. And, and especially when it comes to the, to the STEM discipline, mm-hmm. you know, the computer science, the engineering, um, architecture, um, it's almost unimaginable as to how you can teach students. And we know the challenges of these disciplines only remotely. So while we have a predominance of freshmen and sophomores on campus, because they're the ones that are going to be most challenged to get into learning in blocks of 15 weeks. We also, again, have opened all of our labs for our juniors and seniors as well. It's that lab, hands-on experience, students working in teams, students doing the problem solving that makes this kind of education a real challenge to only be done online. Again, particularly at the undergraduate level, and at the PhD research level. And so, Dr. Bloom, you know, we get new guidance, uh, it feels like, fairly frequently, and a, a big set of new guidance from, from the CDC uh, today. How do you, where do you take your cues from? Obviously, you are very well read in and very familiar with science at its core, but who are you looking toward more or less? Who has really come through for you in terms of you feel like providing the sort of information that is actionable and that you trust as you make some pretty big decisions around student and staff and faculty safety? Well, here in Newark, we're very fortunate. We've got another, a number of hospitals. Uh, we have one on one corner of our campus, St. Michael's, and one a little further on the opposite corner, University Hospital. And they, in fact, are our health care providers, St. Michael's for our students and for our faculty and staff, University Hospitals. They have outstanding epidemiologists, outstanding lab and lab access. Um, So we have been relying on their expertise on the opposite corners of our campus to engage, to talk with, to test. And, and uh, again, to keep us up to date, very timely turnaround, if you will, on our testing and our test results. And we've used other consultants, again, particularly in the area of wastewater uh, testing for our residents' halls. Can I just so say, we, we that is fortunate. such a cool thing. Like, we have a great cover story in the magazine, you know, that's looking at the things, as we all wait for a vaccine, what else can be done kind of before that? And we talk about, you know, quick testing, where if we could all take a test every day and get an idea of whether or not we have the virus, if you could do that every day, every person, it would be much more easier to open up our economy. But wastewater, that has turned out to be something that it's a, right, it it shows up early on if somebody has the virus. It absolutely does. And we did have an we have four, uh, we're using five of our residence halls, and one of them, one of our largest, one that has 300 students, we did get a positive sample. Again, that's perceived generally as a predictor. We quarantined all 300 students. We did now individual testing beyond the surveillance testing that we do of 400 individuals every week. 
And ultimately, we believe there was one case that we somewhat already knew about that in that resident hall, that was quarantine, that turned out to be the indicator. But the 280-plus students all tested negative. As they tested negative, we put them back into the flow of the regular student population. So again, it's, it's being thoughtful, it's being prepared, it's being intentional, and it's being, in part, as you know, smart and lucky. So, Dr. Bloom, I do wonder, with so many people on campus, I do wonder, too, about how you do impose restrictions about what everyone does. And I, and I bring it up considering the last week, and we saw out of Washington, you know, at the last couple of weeks, whether it's for a Supreme Court nomination, we saw people gathered even in an open setting. And yet we are now realizing, or whether it's on the campaign, realizing how these things can be problematic and cause those virus numbers to go higher. How do you basically keep college students under control? Well, we have outstanding students. They're smart. They're STEM, receiving STEM education. They know what their future looks like, and why would they jeopardize it? By either violating what we've asked them to follow, which is remain masked, remain socially distant. We have a pledge that every time they open up their computer or their devices, that they have to pledge they've done the following and followed the rules, including hand washing, et cetera. So our students have been very, very compliant. Again, I think it has to do with their intelligence, their drive, what they want to achieve, and they see what's at the end of this education, three and four job offers. Um, And very often, uh, they will be working in the professions that are going to help not only this economy, but help treat and prevent future pandemics. These are our science, technology, engineering, mathematicians, and we know we are in in the tech economy Every company is a tech company today. So I think they see the vision. Mm. They're smart. They understand what they need to do. And again, they are following the rules. And again, we are very fortunate. And and Dr. Bloom, along those lines, I mean, I, I have to say, having spent some time on your campus and having spent some time with you, and a lot of your students and, and faculty, there is a sort of sense of purpose and a sense of mission that I feel like sometimes, candidly, as we look across the higher education landscape, maybe doesn't exist a- across the board. And it does feel like we are at this moment of, it, it's almost like this existential inflection point, right, for higher education, where people are asking a lot of big questions about why should I go, where should I go, what am I going to get out of it? What do you do as someone who's ultimately responsible for this institution to ensure that you're essentially continuing to be a step ahead of that uh, debate? Well, first and foremost, we've got, we, by, we lead by example. We're the example of our alumni, what they are doing professionally, how they are succeeding. The example of the companies that come to campus that recruit here. We could just go up and down the alphabet from Alphabet to Amazon to Apple to Microsoft. So they come here with a strong sense of conviction. Again, a predominant student coming to NJIT is middle to lower income, very often economically at the bottom quintile of family income. So again, they are very often self-motivated. We constantly keep them in a context in which they are mentored. 
they get an opportunity to apply early on what they are learning. That comes back to what Carol was mentioning about the lab environment. We have them work in teams. We have them in front of faculty who make the theoretical very applied and make it very real. So see the goal of employment, how they contribute, how they can improve the quality of life. They see the research that's going on here. We've got some of the NSF money to do rapid research in the uh, environmental spread of the COVID-19 virus. So it's, it's all very real. It's very mm. applied, very hungry, very motivated students. And again, we try to lead by example of what our alums have achieved, the companies that we partner with, and how they can be innovators, entrepreneurs, and have a very significant impact yeah. on the, in, in the careers and in the professions that they choose. All right. We're going to have to leave it there. Um, Dr. Joel Bloom, we always enjoy time with you. President of the New Jersey Institute of Technology on the phone from Newark, New Jersey. Was it um, Lonsdale who that we talked to, Palantir, about the need for more engineers, yep. right? We were talking fewer about... Fewer lawyers, more engineers. Yeah. Fewer lawyers, more engineers. The world would be better with more engineers. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Totally. It would sell out in a heartbeat. It would, especially at NJIT, because we've seen them. And I do think yeah. that you know, that sense of purpose is real, you know, that he's basically like, look, these guys aren't going to mess this up. Right. They get it. They get it. Right? They understand, right? The dangers in place if you don't kind of do the right thing. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Among the celebrities, by the way, uh, Carol, who yes. showed up at Dave Wilson's uh, 30th anniversary little virtual gathering earlier, Mike Regan, of course. Of course. Paying homage, paying his respects to the GOAT when it comes to the market's coverage. Exactly, exactly. He, of course, is one of the senior (laughs) editors uh, looking after our market's coverage. He's got a great story uh, that I read this weekend about uh, what the markets were looking at ahead of last Friday and then everything that ensued. And that's been quite a doozy, to say the least, and to use a technical market term. Uh, Joel Weber also joins us, the editor of Bloomberg Business Week. So this, Joel, I have to say, as I always, as I often do, hats off to you, because this was one of these stories that I knew I wanted to read. And then like I woke up Saturday morning and there it was. So thank you. Yeah, you can give me no credit for that. Um, it goes all to Mike, who, who I think, you know, we had tasked sort of with a, earlier in the week, he was planning on doing a story um, that was sort of future-minded. And then yeah. uh, basically the biggest news event of uh, the year, which is hard to believe. Which I is saying say something. That, it, yeah, exactly. Um, and it happened. So uh, he had basically had to sort of rework everything, um, uh, you know, starting on Friday morning. But I think the, the thing that, um, you know, makes it the story that it is, is ultimately about like how, how the markets are trying to anticipate these next uh, few weeks ahead of the election. Um, and the thing that I found was so interesting and the thing that I'll hope that he'll talk about a little bit here is this idea of just how, how much of this was already kind of baked in and that's sort of, you know, built into today's pop, if you will. Um, so Mike, why don't you talk a, a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, Joel, thanks. So thanks for having me on guys. Uh, yeah, I, Dave Wilson, uh, I don't know if I was a celebrity, but I, I, he was one of the guys who interviewed me in my first, uh, uh job interview at Bloomberg. So, oh, love that. uh, Felt obliged to show up for that. Happy anniversary, Dave. He's uh, one of the legends of the newsroom. But um, 
Yeah, so, so this story looked uh, a lot at the implied volatility in the market through the lens of VIX futures. And if you're not familiar with what that is, it basically treated as insurance policies against a drop in stocks. Um, and you can buy VIX futures all the way out to, say, June of next year. And the way it usually works is those far out uh, in the future contracts are usually more expensive because, uh, you know, uh, you're kind of buying a longer-term insurance policy. And, you know, you're protecting against swings in the market between now and June as opposed to, say, if you buy one that expires in October, you're only pr- protected uh, through the, the life of that futures contract. But what's been interesting all year is that those are October contracts, which the way the VIX is set up, they actually reflect the implied volatility through November. Um, they've been the most, uh, at least ex- more expensive than the others' uh, contracts around the, them all year. And the traders call it a kink in the VIX curve because it's not really what you normally see when you chart them all out on a, on a graph or a curve. Um, what's gotten even more fascinating is that October, November, and December futures are all elevated. Uh, so you have the shape of the VIX curve is not what it normally is. You have the most expensive uh, VIX futures right near uh, the, the, the front of the curve. So in other words, protecting against volatility through the end of the year. And what everyone is basically attributing that to is concern that there will be a big legal fight over the results of the election uh, and possibly even you know, not to get too dramatic, but uh, even a constitutional crisis if President Trump, uh, as he has indicated, does not accept the results of the election. Um, so uh, then you add on top of that wait, the, this new twist well, in the Well, wait a minute, Trump- Mike. That's where I wanted to jump in. All right. You know, we talk yep. about, especially in presidential election years, we talk about October surprises. We've had actually several. So I'm guessing it was not completely a surprise when you probably got the call from Joel that said, hey, we've got this thing called that, you know, the president's got the virus. So we've got to think, of, you know, maybe potentially rethink your story. Like, how does that impact what you just kind of laid out for us? Well, I think everyone scrambled to sort of wrap their heads around the various possible scenarios in, in which it could uh, affect volatility. I think one of the more interesting ones to me is that uh, obviously Biden's poll uh, lead in the polls has widened pretty significantly since the debate. Um, and I think a lot of people expect it to continue to widen um, because of uh, President Trump getting sick, this outbreak uh, among his staffers at the White House, sort of reinforcing the idea that um, he didn't take the virus seriously enough, wasn't taking uh, you know, enough precautions. At least that's the impression. You know, who knows where he got it and, and if uh, you know, it was avoidable, but that certainly is the impression. So with Biden sort of taking a more co- commanding lead in the polls, a lot of people are saying, well, this sort of reduces... The, the potential and the possibility for a, a contested election, because if he is further out ahead, uh, the avenues to challenge it uh, diminish somewhat. So that removes some of the, uh, you know, concern about volatility uh, in for the rest of the year that that was motivated by worries about a contested election. And if you look at the VIX futures now today, they are they're all down across the board, but especially those October, November, December. Um, contracts are all down pretty significantly. So, it, it, you know, I, I think there's some truth to that angle of the, the story, that opinion from people in the markets that um, as Biden's 
four-hole lead widens, it, it reduces that uh, worry and, and anxiety about a contested election between November and January. Mike, do you get a sense of what, if anything, is fundamentally changed by all of this drama? And by drama, I mean the election and the pandemic and everything. Like, are there structural things or even almost like sentimental things that have changed about this market owing to all of this? Well, you know, obviously you saw this tremendous uh, hit sentiment early on in, in the spread of the virus. And then it was counteracted by this aggressive response from the Federal Reserve and Congress. So, you know, sentiment's a, a fragile thing. Uh, one of the big concerns, obviously, now is will Congress uh, finally get together and agree on a stimulus package? And that's another angle of, of the Trump getting uh, sick story is that people think it will sort of, you know, a slap in the face to Congress, uh, to you know, how a reminder of how serious this virus is and how there are still a lot of individuals, companies, municipalities, and states that have kind of been left behind uh, and not really helped by the previous stimulus and more is needed. Um, so, I, you know, I think that is a, a, another sort of market reaction to, yeah. to, the, uh, to the diagnosis. All right, Mike Regan, you're the best. Thank you so much. Uh, check out his story. Markets were already braced for chaos. Then came the diagnosis. Check it out at Bloomberg.com and, of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Account. There's one strategist that wraps up the piece, and it says, um, this is over bearings. Having, uh, we are truly in uncharted territory, and if a week is a lifetime in politics, we have at least five lifetimes between now and oh. election day. I mean, that's the point. Like, who would have yeah. thought what happened last week happened? And it did. It did. It did. Big time. It's Craig. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I wanna drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. All right, it is time for the drive to the close. We're going to check in with Vance Howard. He is the CEO and portfolio manager of Howard Capital Management. They look after about $2.8 billion. He joins us on the phone from the great state of Texas. Vance, really nice to have you with us. How are things down in Texas? What's it like? Man, it is a beautiful day here in, here in Huntsville, Texas. Market's going up and the weather's terrific. So it, it, you can't ask for much more. So there's no problems out there, right, fans? <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> sorry about my sarcasm. Large family, that it does it to you. <laughs> no, but how do you see it? I mean, to be fair, and Jason and I have kind of kidded about this over the last couple of weeks, but it does feel like the market certainly move on whether or not there's the likelihood of another stimulus package because of the virus. Um, it does seem like markets move on that specifically. There are still a lot of problems out there. Well, there's plenty of problems, but, you know, we live in a world where there's plenty of problems each and every day. Um, so you just got to sort of got to trade through them. And uh, if, you, if you let it uh, hinder you, it's going to cause you a lot, of, a lot of grief and a lot of issues when you might be missing a wonderful market. So let's talk about the market, because it felt like last week it was a little more worried. Today feels less worried. What do you owe the change in sentiment to, even in the short term? Well, I, you know, I think that we were pretty much overbought on a technical basis into September. So I think sort of what you saw, you know, is, uh, what we've seen over, you know, I'm, so, I'm sorry, we it was, got up to the beginning of September, it was overbought, and we've had sort of a mild correction. 
I just think it's sort of an unwinding of that over technical overbought process. I think as far as the market goes, I think the market's firming up and looking pretty strong. Um, again, and, and we all know that there's issues out there. We know there's a lot of headwinds, but there's a tremendous amount of cash on the sidelines, and I think that's being deployed now. I'm looking at the 20-year treasuries, TLT and SHY, the shorter-duration treasuries. They're starting to sell off quite a bit today, so a lot of that money's coming back into equities. Yeah, does that make sense to you? Is that how you would play it? It's absolutely how we're playing it. We've been playing, you know, we, uh, we've got the HCM buy line, which pulled us out of the market um, towards the middle of February and quite a bit, almost 60% in cash in March. It went positive, and we went 100% back in the first two weeks of April. We've been 100% long since April, and we told our clients and people that listen to look, read our newsletter that any pullback is a buying opportunity, and we felt the same way with what, what happened in September. We think it was a buying opportunity. We've been adding to positions on every, you know, days that are, that are down. And so how do you look at the big tech names, Vance? Because, you know, we've seen them really lead all the way up here, you know, to the point where, you know, some folks are looking at the valuations around an Amazon, especially, or an Apple or a Microsoft, and, and maybe getting a little concerned. Are you? Uh, you know, no, we're, we're not, you know, because we're quant-driven, we're math-driven. And, uh, you know, when we went back into the market in April, the, uh, the strongest quantitative sector out there was technology. We've been long technology, uh, you know, since the, you know, the first couple of weeks of April, and that's clearly been the right trade to take. You know, when you look at the value stocks or high-dividend-paying stocks, they've done virtually nothing. Now, the past couple of days, they've actually started to pick up a little bit of momentum, which is interesting to see. So maybe we're starting to see a little bit of a cycle out of the tech, maybe into more value and high-dividend-paying stocks. But again, you look at the amount of money that, that some of these companies are making, and it's it's very attractive. So Microsoft, Amazon, just continue to plow new money into it. And if there's a pullback, plow in even more? I'd be buying more, yes. So what are you avoiding at, at this point then, Vance? Well, I think you need to avoid certain sectors. Like, we're not too very keen on energy. Um, uh, that's That's been a, a, a sector that we've not played very heavy in at all over the past two or three years. It's gotten extremely volatile, very unpredictable. Um, so that's one sector we're, we're really not looking at too very hard. Biotech is actually starting to firm up just a little bit. Consumer discretionary is firmed up quite a bit. But again, you know, go back to our theme since April of this year with Howard Capitalist, technology, technology, technology. Go where the money's going. So talk to me about the election because, you know, we're roughly 30 days out. I mean, the election day is literally four weeks from tomorrow. We're in the final stretch here, even setting aside the president's, you know, COVID diagnosis of late last week and everything we saw over the weekend. What what role does the election play? How does it factor in to your algorithms? How do you figure it out, especially at a time where we don't know if history is a really good guide here. Yeah, I, I think that's a great, great question, guys. They, uh, you know, like I said, we trade completely math-driven, so we try to take the emotion completely out of the equation. The byline, our proprietary indicator is positive. As long as it stays positive, we're going to stay long this market no matter what happens in the election, no matter what the day-to-day news feed is about the election. That's a, that's a key component, guys. You got to take the emotion out of this thing. If not, it, 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 it'll 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 drive you crazy. And the more emotion you put into your trading, the worse your returns are going to be because you make mistakes that just aren't rational and they don't add up mathematically. So the more you can take the emotion out of the equation, the better off you are. But as it stands right now, the HCM byline is positive. As long as it stays positive, we're staying long this market. Well, you mentioned, okay, so uh, safe to say you're bullish. Um, but I do wonder, um, how, you know, Vance, in terms of your quant model, 
what is it that you guys, obviously you can't give us all of your proprietary, you know, algorithms and your formulas here, but what is it that you prioritize? Is it earnings? Is it economic outlook? Is it just, you know, valuations that are low? What is it? Well, I, I think that you have to look at it in the way, the direction of the market. And I think that's what's been really key to the ACM byline is pointing us in the direction of the market. And a lot of times we can overthink things in life. We can sit there and say, if this happened, the world's going to fall apart. If this happens, you know, the world's going to be great. Well, that's really not how things work. You have to trade in the now. For me to tell you what the elections, how the elections are going to affect the market 30 days from now, I don't know. Nobody knows. It's an unknown quantity. But what I do know, as of this day on Monday, the ACM's byline is long. We're staying long this market. If it changes, we'll change our direction and how we allocate to uh, our clients' accounts, you know, it's going to be volatile. There's no doubt about it. And I think this is critical. And I know you being a news media, I keep telling clients all the time, one of the best things you can do, you probably don't want to hear this, is, is to be quite candid, uh, turn off the news. It's, uh, it, it'll, it'll, it creates emotional distress and it makes you make decisions that maybe aren't the best in your best interest long term as far as playing this market and making money. So I just as we wrap up here, Vance, I, I want to pick up on that because I, we also know that in your background, you've been a public servant. You you served on the Huntsville City Council, and so you understand sort of pocketbook economics in many ways. And I would argue that you know some folks they're not reading you know the newspaper, they're not listening to the radio, but they're just looking at their job or their lack thereof or sort of the local economy. And, and they're still worried. How do you sort of synthesize all that? And unfortunately, you've got to do it in a minute. <laughs> I, I think everybody's worried. I, 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 there's no doubt about it. And, you know, if you're unemployed, you're even more worried than somebody who might be employed. But I can't change that, and you guys can't change that. So right. as, a, as a money manager, I've got to take that out of the equation. I'm, I'm not hired to feel. I'm hired to make people money. And that's what we do. We keep it down to a mathematical equation. We trade the math, take the the, uh, the uh, emotions out of the equation yeah. the best that we possibly can, and we trade in the now. And right now, the HCM byline is positive. Be long. All right. Well, uh, really interesting to catch up with you, get your perspective. Thank you so much. Vance Howard, CEO, Portfolio Manager of Howard Capital Management, joining us on the phone from lovely Huntsville, Texas. Do Carol? you think he's, like, bullish on the market? A little bit. A little bit. But, I mean, listen, he's got the math to prove it. Yeah. He's got the courage of his convictions with the numbers. So interesting to interesting to see that and interesting to hear someone who is so straight ahead, uh, such a straight ahead bull. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's got those algorithms in place and that's what they're telling him to do. Thanks so much for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News.